Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, your favorite source for all things going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. This week we feature a special episode as a tribute to Georgia Henry Gates. Georgia was a beloved lay leader in the diocese that passed away several months ago. To celebrate her memory, I asked a couple of her closest friends to share some stories about Georgia over the years. Deacon K. Bowman Harvey from All Saints Miami and lay leader John Coons from St. Paul's Cathedral in Oklahoma City joined the podcast to honor the life and legacy of Georgia Henry Gates. Let's dive in, y'all. Like I said earlier, I didn't grow up going to St. Crispin's, and I've just gotten to know it working in the diocese and becoming, you know, an Episcopalian here in Oklahoma later in life, but um, all I hear about with the legacy and history of camp is about Georgia Gates and her leadership and legacy there, and so I thought I'd bring on two folks who spent a lot of time getting to know her and have some great stories and memories about her to honor her her and her legacy in this community in the Diocese of Oklahoma. So Kay Boat, would you like to start us talking about how you met Georgia and what capacity you worked with her? Sure. Shortly after I was confirmed an Episcopalian, I went to my first camp staff meeting. I was going to be on the volunteer staff uh, for uh, a third, fourth, and fifth grade camp in 1982. And my first gathering of camp people, we were at St. Crispin's, and I got to meet Georgia for the first time. And then when I went to camp later that summer, I happened to be paired with her as a permanent staff person. I was the old one because I went to camp at St. I was not an Episcopalian, so I went to another camp when I was growing up. So I went for the first time when I was in my late 20s. And uh, Georgia and I were... uh, Camp, we were cabin mates. We were the cabin counselors that first time I was there. And um, Georgia lived in the cabin, the old, what is now cabin five was cabin four back in those days. And it was the place where the the, uh, female staff had their restroom, their bathroom. And so everybody gathered there. And she she shared it with everyone. And I met her then. And then I started going back to camp. And I did a couple of summers on permanent staff with her. And then um, lots of camp years after that, uh, for almost 30 years. And uh, so we also got to be good uh, friends and did lots of diocesan youth things. We used to do two youth conferences a year. We did a senior high camp or a senior high conference uh, in the spring, did the junior high in the fall. And we would go to different churches around the diocese and do that. I also did EYEs with her. I went to my first Episcopal youth event with her when it was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, back in the day. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I think Stillwater was the second of the EYEs that went. And I went, I went to six more after that, I think. So yeah, we got to be good friends. And, and then like John had alluded earlier, we just became very, very close friends and did lots and lots of stuff together. Uh, she's a Southern lady. She's from Alabama. She went to Montevala College, which was a school in Northern Alabama. And uh, 
She was, her mother was a true Southern lady from Alabama by birth, but she was also, Georgia had had long ties with this diocese. When her father, who was an Episcopal priest, was priest at All Saints in Duncan, she used to babysit Shelby Scott, who was a little tyke at that time, and then later was on camp staff, and then went on to, to become a longtime uh, precious priest in, in the diocese. That you can't, you cannot ever diminish what an impact she had on so many people through their childhood, their teenage years, and now their adult lives with their own children and grandchildren. Uh, she knew everybody's name. She knew it forever. She kept, she kept all the address lists. She had pictures. She, when we lost her, we lost a lot of institutional memory, if you will. Because she just knew everybody and everything, but did it in a quiet way. She liked to play bridge. We would play bridge. We would do family camp. John was alluding uh, to when the back children came, when Dean Back came to the cathedral. And I remember uh, as Jordy was like four or five years old and we were doing family camp <laughs> and he was, he was, a, a live wire from the moment he came. And uh, so it just, it, we've seen lots of changes with St. Crispin's. We've seen lots of changes with, with the camping program and um, lots of, you know, what we did back in the day with some of the things that we were able to do with camp would, would um, curl the hair of the church insurance corporation because of the safeguarding business. Uh, we, it curls my hair when I think about it sometimes about what we did and but the times have changed and we and the church needed to change with it and Georgia was always a part of that she was she loved her church she was always an active member of a congregation uh, when she moved to Tulsa and was teaching elementary school at Hawthorne Elementary which was a predominantly a black school in the north side of Tulsa she was an active member of St. Luke's in Tulsa and in fact she lived in their they had a, a house that had a, a um, well, would you, well, it was just kind of a resale shop that supported the, the ministries of St. Luke's. And there was a full apartment above that. And that was the gathering place. Everybody would get together at George's and have a grand time about for so many things. I, just one little quick story. Uh, back in the 90s, we did a... Uh, Conference on Renewal and Evangelism. John, do you remember that when it was at Holland Hall back in the day? That also happened to be the tornado that hit Tulsa in the late 90s. And it cut off, it cut off our uh, trip from Oak Tulsa to Miami. We couldn't get to Miami because it cut off. We were there. There were 16 of us, including children. And we got to George's house. By that time, she had moved to her own home. We got to Georgia's house, and we all had our sleeping bags, and we all took over the house, and she just opened it up to us. That was who she was. That just, she was hospitality incarnate. She really, really was. Mm, I love that. I love that. How about you, John? When did you meet Georgia, and what was your experience like with her? Well, I think uh, it was probably the summer of 1972, and I have to say, first of all, even though, you know, 
I was on the grounds of St. Crispin's right after the diocese bought it in 1965 when a group from St. Paul's of St. Catherine's Guild had a picnic out there. And so uh, there was nothing there at the time but the lake, and uh, we had a great time. That was my first experience of being at St. Crispin's. But all of this time, I never did go to camp uh, at St. Crispin's as a child, but, uh, but did other things at St. Crispin's. And anyway, then my good friends uh, that I grew up with at St. Paul's, Mary Ostrander Helt and Anel Houston Cockrell, they were both involved as camp counselors at St. Crispin's. And so I just remember going over in 1972 with Donna Houston to pick up Anel at the end of the camp session. And that's when I met this other camp counselor named Georgia Henry. And so that was my first experience with Georgia, but you know, it was just meeting her. But then I got to know her as the years went by, not at camp, but at different diocesan functions. I did a lot with the youth at the time. Uh, that's how I met Janie Hill uh, or Janie Enos at the time and, and Kay Bo and, and Joyce and all these people and uh, got to know them over the years. But then, uh, and like uh, Cabo mentioned, like the back kids, when they started uh, going to St. Crispin's, I was involved again with picking up and things like that. But uh, it wasn't until uh, 1996 when uh, uh, Clint McEwen was our youth leader at St. Paul's, and he told me about this new uh, deal called uh, New Beginnings, and he wanted me to come and be a dad for this new beginnings in 1996. So I didn't know what I was getting into, but I went and I just fell in love with it. It was just the greatest weekend. And um, anyway, and I came back and I told Rick and Janie Hill, I said, you know, I went to this great weekend, new beginnings. It's just great. You guys need to go and be a mom and dad. And, and so they did. And then, you know, Janie says to me, well, John, you love this so much. This is just like a mini camp. You need to come and, and go to camp and be a counselor, you know. So in 1998, at age 46, was the first time I went to church camp at St. Crispin's. And of course, I went to Dana Orwig and H.L. Watson's third, fourth, and fifth grade uh, camp. And of course, uh, Georgia was the camp director at, at that time. And, oh, what a great experience. And, and of course, that's when I saw the real Georgia Henry in action, you know, and, and was just amazed with, you know, the way she learned everybody's name. She, I think she probably knew him, didn't she, Cabo, at the time they got there to camp. But she, she yeah, she knew him. And, uh, and just so loving. And, of course, as she said, as Cabo said, she was a second grade teacher. She she loved kids. She had a, a passion for kids, and it showed. And uh, she was behind the scenes a lot, but uh, you know, it, she was she was wonderful with them, with homesickness, all kinds of things. And 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 I just know that ever since about that time, every July first, my first birthday card was from Georgia Henry, 
and uh, she never missed. I always got a Christmas card from her or any other thing that <laughs> was happening in my life. She was, she was right there and uh, just an incredible friend. Yeah, she sounds like a remarkable woman. Any um, particular stories stand out for you all? I've got one that I'd like to tell. <laughs> That's all right. You know, I think Cabo was saying earlier how she was always doing all these different things, but never in the limelight, you know. And uh, so anyway, always on uh, Friday nights, we had uh, the big dance, the, the, the evening, you know, in the, in the fine dining room, and then the dance afterwards and everything. So anyway, and I don't remember what year this was, but it, it was while she was still Georgia Henry. It was before uh, Bob uh, was in her life. But anyway, at the dance, and this was before really everybody had cell phones and everything. Everybody had cameras. But anyway, the, the disco song, uh, Can't Get Enough of Your Love by Barry White, you know that song? Well, that came on, and I just it just hit me. I just went and grabbed Georgia and pulled her out on the dance floor and we were dancing away to that 70s disco. <laughs> and I mean, you talk about the paparazzi. I mean, those cameras were just, it was the biggest thing. We were the only two on the dance floor. And, and I don't know that anybody had ever pulled her out on the dance floor to dance, but we did. And it, it, it was the a big hit of the evening, I do believe, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the Friday night dances were all a big thing. And and uh, back in the day, we used to have popcorn, and that was Georgia's not job. She would go in and make the popcorn for the dance that we put out for the um, things. And she was the one who, like I said, when her father died, she's the one that always made the Kool-Aid. And she always made all the lemonade for the dances and everything else. And Everybody was going, what do we do? Where do we do? But even if Georgia was in the kitchen cleaning up, when they started playing the time warp, Georgia was in the dance floor. We always did the time warp yeah, at the end true. of the dances. It was usually the next uh, to the last song. And then the, the end of the world as we know it was the last song. And then we always had prayer after that. But uh, yeah, that was, that, that was just part of, of her joy. She just, she just loved watching the kids and being a part of their lives. And, and uh, I, I could tell you too, so, so many stories that it would be, it, we'd be here all day, but uh, she was a, she was a great friend as well. After, after we started doing camp things together, then we started doing teacher things together. We went to teachers meeting together every year and I would spend, I would spend uh, many, 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 weekends at her house doing a variety of things and uh, and so yeah she's and I, I can tell you the day that she told me she called and told me she and Bob were engaged I can remember that as well we were with uh, we met Janie at camp Janie was also there Joyce Hardy was a dear friend who had been a teacher friend of mine before I was an Episcopalian and then she was a deacon in the Episcopal church and she just died this past year um and uh, the four of us were with Janie. Well, the four of us were together before Janie got married, when Janie and Rick got married. And oh, the stories. We laughed until we were sick in the face, just, just doing things. So, it, it, you know, a great, great dear friend. And, and 
you get on the phone, we would get on the phone and talk for hours and hours on end. So she was just, we were just there. Cable, isn't it true that that didn't Bob go actually to the camp uh, during a camp session when he proposed to her at St. Crispin's? Wasn't that? He very well may. I think he very well may have. Because, I mean, that's when social media just hit an all-time high because he proposed. It was in July. Yes. Yeah, it was was in July because I got engaged the same week. Okay. That's what's that. I got engaged the same week and we did not. um, I did not tell anyone here because we were having a wedding that next weekend. And it was, again, somebody who had been a part of camp. Jeff Houston was one of the officiants. Scott Jackson played music. It was when Lauren Mustang got married, John, and uh, who had been a camp counselor. Uh And I didn't want to take away from them. So I didn't tell anybody because I can just. So they got married on Saturday. They had a reception in Oklahoma City on Sunday. And when I walked in the door of their reception in Oklahoma City on Sunday, everybody was going, you and Georgia got engaged the same week. It was funny. It was very, very funny. So, yeah. So I was part of, I was part of their wedding when they got married at St. Crispin's and she was part of, she and Janie were part of my wedding when we got married here in Miami. So we got some close ties there, just some close ties going. From the stories and how you guys have talked about her, it seemed like she was so good at creating community wherever she was. And, and, and people didn't know that that's what was happening. She right. was so good at it that no one knew that that's exactly what she was doing. Uh, and again, like I said, she did so much that people were un- unaware. But when she wasn't there, it was so noticeable and right. everybody knew, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and she loved that place so much when after she and Bob got married, they, because of circumstances, got called back. They never got to move into their house in Bartlesville together before they were back at St. Crispin's being interim directors of St. Crispin's while, while we were looking for uh, new staff and doing some work and, wow. and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, that, that's just an integral part of, of the place. And we were there when they built uh, ochre, the first ochre hater and the new cabins and uh, this and this and this. And so, yeah, it's, it's appropriate that part of her are, will be at St. Christmas forever uh, and physically and spiritually and memory wise, she will always be a memory of St. Christmas. I think if you know of anybody from the seventies up through the early two thousands, yeah. People would, if they think of camp, they think of Georgia. What else in terms of lasting legacy on the diocese, you know, do you think she's left? Well, she did, like I said, she did a lot of the youth work. She was not only, she was the head of happening, which is, of course, you know, the outbreak, the new beginnings for the younger kids, Perseo for the older folks. Uh, She was the chairman of the youth board when we had a youth board in the diocese each region had representatives both youth and youth and adult they gathered and organized a whole lot of stuff she was the province seven youth coordinator for the for province seven of the episcopal church and like i said so she's known she was known by people far and wide and it's you i don't think you could ever even calculate 
like I said, you know, the priests that are in this diocese that are, are a part of her legacy, the other for the for committed lay people who are part of this diocese that will be there forever. I mean, it's just I don't think you can calculate what an impact she had on this diocese. Think that that people learned what it takes to provide a happy, safe place for kids. I think she indwelled in all of us the importance of making it a safe space, of, uh, you know, taking responsibility. I mean, that's not, you know, just a fun, I mean, you've got to have the responsibility to do that. And uh, I think that that's been indwelled in all of us from her. She was the, the, she was the person, she was the camp director when all of the safeguarding stuff came out. When we first started having to do uh, after dealing with the, the abuse records that came out and all the things that the church insurance and other folks said we have to install before we can have a youth program. She was right in the forefront of all of that when it happened. So she, she held us all to a standard to make sure that we did things the right way we wanted to do. And, 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 it, was, and it was no easier for her than it was for the rest of us. But we learned and, and in reflection has, has made our life richer, I think, and yes. given us more of, a, more of an awareness of those, of those issues. And again, as John said, to know that St. Crispin's was a safe place. She, it was a safe place and, and just a place for kids, kids and adults. Because I can tell you that without St. Crispin's, my ministry as a deacon would not have been there. You know, I would not have been a, as a, a part of everything if I had not had that, ex, this, that experience at St. Crispin's. Because again, she was so integral to that communal community aspect of our church that just people may not be aware of how much she had a part of it, but she did incredibly amount because she did it quietly and behind the scenes. And I know all of the bishops that uh, she served under all had the same feeling about her. Bishop Powell, Bishop McAllister, Bishop Moody, Bishop Ed, they all had a great respect and, and appreciation for Georgia. I know one time uh, I experienced what I thought was going to be a traumatic thing. I thought I was going to really be in trouble, uh, but she handled it beautifully. But uh, it was uh, one of the third, fourth, and fifth grade camps that I was a counselor for. Uh, and I don't remember what year it was, but all I know that I was in cabin four. By this time, it was a boy's cabin, and it was, uh, it was the big one because it had mm -hmm. like spaces for 12, wasn't it, Cabo? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so at that time, uh, there, we had three counselors in that cabin. And... Uh, so actually the cabin, it was Greg Houston and uh, Ted Downing. And then I was the one for the volunteer for the week. And so, of course, they, you know, I was always on the bottom bunk, of course, being the old guy. But anyway, so I was on the bottom bunk and Greg Houston was on the top bunk. And then Ted was actually in the room, which, like you say, couldn't be done today uh, with the other boys. And anyway, 
I don't remember, I think it was Friday night, actually, after the dance and everything. In the middle of the night, we had a tornado alert, a tornado warning that was coming up close. And I just remember I was awakened with Georgia staring me in the face. I mean, I woke up and Georgia was staring at me and uh, the bell was ringing, you know, up there. She said, we need to get everybody up to the lodge, you know, and all this. And so we all, of course, it was kind of a madhouse, you know, getting everybody up and getting them in there. And like I say, there were so many kids, you know, there was 11 or 12 kids in there. And so anyway, we were trying to get them and you know how that was getting them out of bed and all of that. Anyway, we should have never done this, but uh, one of us took half of them and said, come on, let's go. And, and uh, then the other half came up late anyway. So we stayed up in the lodge, I guess, all night. But when we went back the next morning, one of our kids was still in bed in our cabin. He, we had somehow missed this one kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he just slept through the whole thing, you know. But I guess it's because we went, you know, half and half or something. We just somehow missed him. And anyway, and I just remember, oh, my gosh, you know. Georgia is going to kill me. That's <laughs> what I thought. And anyway, I went to Georgia and I told her what the situation was. And so anyway, we had this, I just remember we had this powwow up in the bishop's uh, bedroom <laughs> upstairs and, and Bob Tolliver was the chaplain. So Bob was there and uh, I guess Jeff and Ted, I mean, not Jeff, Greg, Greg and, and Ted, and uh, Georgia, and and the kid, <laughs> and so like I was facing, uh, like Georgia and the kid were sitting on the end of the bed facing uh, Bob and me, and and I guess Greg, and and Ted was sitting behind them facing us, so we could see Ted's face. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, you know, we just went through all of this, and and anyway, at one point, said something about his mother, and, and he said his mother was an attorney. <laughs> and I just remember Ted Downing. I won't repeat what he said with his mouth, but <laughs> when he said my mother's an attorney, we thought, oh my gosh, you know. Well, it turned out. I mean, the mother was fine with it. They were no, you know, they thought things like that can happen. And Georgia was very nice about it you know I I, I was because I was really worried you know we've really screwed up here but anyway that was an experience but but her love came through and you know yet she was you know we had to go through this of course and, and like I say she made us accountable so anyway that never happened again I trust me <laughs> oh my word yeah and I always you know I always loved it when we go to convention all these years when I would see Cabo and Georgia, we would always get a picture of the three of us on the opening of convention. And of course, I can remember for years, you know, that when I arrived and saw Georgia, she would immediately pin on the, the camp pin for that for that year and get you all the stuff for the, you know, to be advertising St. Crispin's uh, during the convention. So anyway, yeah. You know what? I, I I think, it, it, like you, John, I, the same way, is that so many times I think people forget that the church would not be the church without its lay people. And though Georgia was a priest kid and lived in the church, grew up in the church, was involved in the church, 
she took her role as a lay leader very, very seriously. And if for no other reason, that would be one of the greatest legacies I think that she would have because she supported all of us who went on and did, and did, you know, took on different roles in the church. But when it, in the, in the prayer book, when it says, who are the ministers of the church, they're the lays, bishops, priests, and deacons. She definitely was at the forefront of making sure that the laity knew that they were the most important to the church. You said that. That's so true. And we need to lift that up more. We do. We do. We forget how powerful and how the laity is everything. Mm-hmm. It's the church. It's the whole church, right? Like the clergy is such yeah. a right. small piece. Um, exactly. The lady makes are literally the arms and hands and eyes and everything of the church. Mm. One of the things that Georgia liked to do, she not only handed out the Kool-Aid and the popsicles and everything else, but again, she, she was so strong in her faith. And one of the last things she liked, she liked to, to serve the chalice at the closing Eucharist a lot of the time, especially when she was a counselor. When she was, at, when she was director, she didn't get to do that as much because she was doing all those administrative things. But her heart really took that job, that role of, of serving the chalice to third graders all the way up through adults as a very, very holy and sacred thing. And uh, she, she was just incredible, incredible. And she took, I'll tell you what, if nothing else too, um, she taught us of the good way to die as well. Mm. Uh, her, her, this last four years with the struggle with the, with starting with the, the tumors, I was with Bob at the hospital when they did the first, uh, things when her brain, when they first were finding the cancer and she was the one that was saying, Hey, we're going to get through this. And she led let us all in an appropriate way to die. And we got to, unfortunately, because of the weather, I didn't get to be over, but I did get to go spend uh, uh, several hours with her when she, when they had called in hospice. And again, she was, she was wanting to know, she liked to do, she liked to do church gossip. You know, she wanted to know who, what had we heard about this or who had we talked about, or have you saw, have you seen someone or so-and-so? And she was always connected and always loved. And, and uh, like I said, not only did she teach us how to live in the church, she also taught us how to die. Mm. Powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. She was staying yep. and, in that community to the very end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that putting out the word for the scholarship fund for St. Crispin's in her honor, that it exceeded expectations from the get-go, I think is a tremendous tribute and part of her legacy as well. And she, she's, she's smiling down because she knows other kids will get to come to camp, not because of her, but because of her. You know, she's not going to, she would not take the credit for her being the impetus to being a part of that, but she's really going to, she's really happy that that's going to happen. So, yeah, I think that was such a wonderful idea and such a meaningful, sustainable way to exactly keep her legacy going and opening up 
camp's doors to more and more kids. I mean, that's what she was about, it seems. Like, let's just, let's take care of everyone. Whoever needs a space, we have one for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I said, she was hospitality. She definitely exhibited the gifts of hospitality. Yeah. Anyway, looking, I think the celebration of her life that's set for this summer will mm-hmm. be incredibly joyful, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's not all planned yet, but just be ready for some camp music and, uh, and we'll go from there. So. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan newsletter at our website, epiok.org slash newsletter and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week and peace be with you.